This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Get ready to dial into the exciting world of call centers with First Contact, stories of the call center podcast. Join us as we share stories from industry leaders, explore the latest trends and technologies, and tackle the challenges and triumphs of the contact center landscape. Fasten your seatbelt for a high-energy journey brought to you by Nobel Biz, the one-stop shop for all your call center needs, both in software and service. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Super excited today. We actually have a great guest with Jim Ayub, the Chief Customer Officer over at eTech Global Services. Now, look, if you don't know Jim, Jim has been passionate for a long time about CX, EX. Now, more recently, obviously, we've been talking a lot about AI, human intelligence. We've been talking about speech analytics for a long time. And that's where a lot of his expertise is of how do you leverage that in the call center. So, Jim, welcome to the show. Excited to have you here. Oh, Christian, thanks so much for having me as well. I appreciate the opportunity to speak about it. Definitely one of my passions for sure. Awesome. Yeah, well, I know you're a passionate guy and I'm looking forward to seeing and sharing that with the rest of our audience. And so look, one of the things we do on this show is always to talk about your background. How did you get into this space, right? Not everybody wakes up and says, hey, I'm going to go live and work in the call center space. So you have a story to get into this space. How'd you get here? What are you doing now? Yeah, so it's it's a funny story because I went to school for computer programming and system design. So you would think, how did I end up in the contact center? So I met this guy by the name of Matt Rocco back when I was a young kid. And uh, after school, I started my job as a call center agent for Dun & Bradstreet, working for this guy, Matt Rocco. And I remember him because he brought me into his office. He was the director of the site and said, you know, so what do you want to do? And I saw this big office and I was like, I mean, this looks different. I think I want your job one day. And believe it or not, as an agent, and I didn't know he was the big shot at the time, but he took me as a, he mentored me throughout my career. I've got promoted several times at Dun & Bradstreet and long story short, he left Dun & Bradstreet and 30 days later, he recruited me to come work for him at this company. So I've been with this same boss for over 30 years and that's really what got me into it. I was just an agent that I was a manager and then I came down here as an account manager uh, at eTech. That's a little bit about it. Well, it's great that you kind of had that moment in time where we've talked about on previous shows, right? The a concept of mentors, the concept of having an opportunity that shifted by building a relationship creating a memorable experience, and then it carries on. And so when we talk about eTech, for those who don't know, give us some insights and background. What is eTech? What do you do? Yeah, so so eTech is traditionally we're a BPO. I mean, we're a, a next generation BPO. So we created and trademarked how to turn data into strategic insights, leveraging artificial intelligence which actually not only helps the call center agents, but enhances training, enhances coaching, because we focus on critical behaviors to improve that customer experience and for our customers and their shareholder value. That's really a little bit about eTech. We started um, in 2000, I joined the company in 2000. It was 400 employees, one location, Nacogdoches, Texas, our headquarters. And today eTech operates in three countries, 10 call center sites. We represent some of the biggest brands in the world. And we've done all this with no mergers, no acquisitions, and no venture capitalists. So 
The story's cool because A, we know the data works when used properly, um, shown by our, our big track record, if that makes sense. Does that help? Yeah, no, it does. And you know what's interesting is we've had a variety of companies that are in the BPO space and all have like a different story of what makes them unique, what makes them different. And obviously one of the big things that you've really leveraged is that intelligence, that insight, being able to push that across multiple channels. Can you kind of give us some insight and how did eTech go from just being a BPO to now going, I'm going to embrace, I'm going to become a leader and I'm going to define how we leverage these technologies and this data as the core of making decisions. Yeah. So in 2003, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to help grow, um, to grow our business into India. So I, me, my wife, my two-year-old daughter, my mother-in-law all went to India for two years. And I was, I was a director of ops at the time. And like everybody is probably listening, I was looking for a better way to coach agents, coach supervisors and leaders um, to make better data decisions because it was new, right? I'm in a new country, all new employees. None of them had call center experience. And I went out on the market looking for a better solution. And coming from an ops perspective, and I vetted out a bunch of them, I really couldn't find anything that gave me what I wanted. So what I ended up doing was, you know, I told you I've been with my boss for 30 years. So I said, hey, I have an idea. I think we can build something. So we hired a bunch of developers and we actually created a platform called QEVAL. It was just a, just a, it's, I call it QA on steroids. And what I was able to do was build the data scientist team to tell me and my leaders every day who to coach, what to coach, and more importantly, how to coach. Because remember, I'm, if I'm a new leader, I might not know how to coach. So we built this tech stack back then, you know, just compiling and taking all the data together and focused on behaviors instead of just a bunch of spreadsheets and data and dashboards, which I know people like, really get into the meat of the, the meat of what the issue is and how to fix it. So that's pretty much what we did. And over time, we've evolved it, obviously, with the introduction of speech and stuff like that. But that's pretty much how I did it. And I said, there's got to be a better way to teach people how to coach effectively, if that's the, word, the best word I would use. You know, I love that you're focusing on coaching, right? And being able to help the, the frontline staff and supervisors and others really lift up their game because it's not just the technology that's communicating with the end customer, right? The in these interactions, right? These especially higher level conversations, more complex interactions, being able to help them be more successful is huge. And we talk about now the concepts of AI. We talk the concepts of, you know, all of the different technology that's coming into play. But at the end, as long as it's a voice communication with a human to human, that's where you have an opportunity to really help engage and create a better memorable experience. And so with that in mind, when you were looking at coaching, when you were looking at helping uh, get that moved up in the food chain of value. When you've looked back and said, okay, here's what we had to build because as an operator, there wasn't stuff in the market. Why do you think it was from an operator standpoint that all these technology products, because there was a ton out there, really didn't meet what you were looking for? Do you think there's like a gap or something missing there? I, I do. So coming from the, from my background in education as a, programmer typical programmers 
sit in a room with their lights off, IT guys, and I'm not offending anybody, hopefully, but that's, you know, and they solve problems. They're great problem solvers, but they don't have the domain expertise of running a contact center and how to manage people, right? Because they're tech people. So there's great techs. And by the way, technology, to your point, is an enabler, okay? The holy grail of any AI solution to make it smarter is how to use the data to drive action. And that's what I think they miss. And it's not because they're not smart, because the tech stacks are great, but I think what they're missing is that domain expertise of being in a real contact center, real problems, real aging issues, and how to solve them. And I remember speaking to some of these big shots in the through my career. I remember one guy who told me he's going to replace all my people. I said, <laughs> really, how are you going to do this? He says, because my technology is going to... Re- and, and then I said to him, we had a conversation. He's still a personal friend of mine today. And, and he actually, after about five years, I think he admitted that I was right. Because he said to me, he says, listen, he says, You're, if I tell you what's wrong, you should be able to fix it. Your manager should be able to fix it. And I said to him, I said, you know what? You're right. But here's the problem. So many leaders have been promoted inside organizations based out of a need right? Because customers are adding more people and these people weren't trained properly on how to fix problems. And since I'm a new leader, I'm sure it's not going to tell you I don't know how to do it because you just promoted me and gave me more money. So I said, that's what's missing. So you need to take human intelligence combined with artificial intelligence, which actually creates that better customer experience because people are always going to be needed. Machines can replicate. Okay. The biggest one I would tell you is, you know, these people who sell these tech stocks and these people that go out and say, you know, it's set it and forget it. It's one of the biggest lies in the industry. It's a machine like anything else. You need to code, you need to code it and train it to what insights you want to get. It's not Ron Papel's rotisserie as I'm dating myself. It's not set it and forget it. You need to fix this. And it's, it's like when I tell people, you know, recommend you take a shower every day, you got to fine tune that machine every day. Right. And that's that's really what the strategic insights of people make the difference. And I think that's what's missing, that domain knowledge and domain expertise. I could agree with you more that that domain expertise is invaluable when used properly. Right. And when you embed it into the enabling technologies, I think you have that really great one two punch. So with that, when we look at upcoming innovations, what's going on e-tech from right now that's excited or maybe coming near term in the future without letting any cats in the bag, is there anything that e-tech is doing or coming up with coming down the pipeline or in, you know, in, in implementing in their stack to be able to have that future move towards the business, getting more business or getting a better experience? Oh, absolutely. So I'm excited. We just launched about six months ago, this QEVAL analytics. I'm solving the biggest problem. I hope we as a company are solving the biggest problem that I have personally seen, okay, in in tech stacks. So let's think about ideal situation as as an operator. We have a dialer, we have email, we have everything. So the primary, so when you think about it, um, this, this, uh, the biggest problem I see is I have to go to five, six, seven different tech stacks to look at my data. And if you think about solving the biggest problem in the contact center industry on performance, if I have five to seven different tech stacks, I have to see how I did. 
That's the problem statement. So what we did, right, is we've actually compiled all this information into one tech stack. So literally I could get my CSAT data, I can get my um, call center data, my ops data, my coaching data, all into one screen, one view. That's what nobody's figured out yet. Because again, you go for quality, I'm looking this, for AI, I'm going here, for CSAT, I'm going here, for dialer, I'm going here. So that's what we've done recently. And early results are tremendous. People have never seen anything like this, especially our leaders, by the way. Because even when you think about the leaders, the leaders have been going into the CSAT data. They've been going into the dialer to look at calls. They've been going into QEVAL to look at the quality data. So we've compiled all those with APIs and brought it into one simple to use dashboard, right? And then you could drill down. So the, the holy grail of this is I can get to root cause of the issue within three clicks from the same platform. That's the cool stuff that's exciting and new. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz Omni Plus, the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz Omni Plus at www.nobelbiz.com. So when you have more data and you actually have actions on that data, right? That's when it's valuable, right? When it's outdated or when you just get paralysis by analysis, we just have too much information. There obviously has to way, have a way for you to be able to grab the right info, have it in a place for the right views, right? You're going to have different people that are going to use different sets of data and make actionable uh, moves on that. Have you found when you're looking at this, going from where it is today and going into the future, that any of this stuff going to be automated in a way where it'll even make recommendations on what you should do? Or you still rely on humans to say, this should be done with this data? So it's a great question. And I think there's a there's definitely a place for automation, right? So I will tell you, if you look at Amazon, Amazon's got a recommendations engine, as you're probably aware. So does Netflix. And let's talk about the two, Okay. One is backed by a lot, about 1,100 data scientists, which is why when you're shopping online, your recommendations are very precise and clean to you. When I'm going to look at a movie, they're 100% automated. I'm not saying it's terrible, but it, it gives you, in my opinion, random. It gives me movies all the time that I have no interest in ever seeing it. So that's the difference of automation. Now, that's just two live examples. Now, where do I see automation going? So we have created a report 
the most successful rebuttals against the most common objections, which it took human beings to do it, right? Because we're analyzing millions of data sets. However, over time, we've been able to automate based on responses customers will give us. We'll be able to actually go in now we can automate and say, this is one of the top 10 objections and this rebuttal works 32% of the time. So that can be automated. I do see that where it's making recommendations, absolutely. And if you think about the holy grail of these automations, like there's a bunch of tech stacks out there, Cresta, ASAP, all of them that do those recommendations in real time with the agent. I mean, you could make these chatbots smarter because when you're analyzing all of the interactions with your customers, your customers are already telling you everything you wanna know. What they like about the experience, what they hate about the experience, you know, why they came to call you in the first place is because they were on your website, they tried to self-serve and it wouldn't let them self-serve. So by taking all of that intelligence, yes, you could make automation recommendations based on that. I think the problem with people see is they think of it as a tech that's gonna solve those problems. Phase one of problem solving is to analyze 100,000 interactions, make your bot smarter, right? Because if you think about how you can do it, again, instead of the IT guy, no disrespect to an IT guy, but instead of him trying to solve problems that we're not sure are problems, listen to what your customers are telling you on all those interactions and base your smart bot and your smart interactions and your recommendations on that. I do see that as a big play. Some people do it very well. Some people don't. The second part of our recommendations I'll tell you I'm excited about is how you use it in training. So we have actually programmed our bots, because we have bots too, for role-playing. So think about this. In the old days of contact centers, what did you do when you went to training? Two weeks of training, classroom-led, maybe some visualization things in the computer, maybe some practice, but then you get to role-playing. So role-playing, what do we do? You and I have been in training together. And we're role-playing against each other. We're friends. We've been here for two weeks together. We've been out taking breaks together. It's not an effective one. The other one is the, the, the leader or the training leader is going to role-play with you. What we've done is we've taken real calls, taken you know, 50,000 phone calls that happened on the program and created bots out of real phone calls. So now what happens is our agents can do 15, 20 simulators. And by the way, the calls while they're bot automated and driven, it's not a real person, but now I'm actually having a conversation back and forth with a bot in real time that actually happened on a real phone call. You can't get better training and role-playing than that. That's where I see is a big in the marketplace as well. It'll reduce training by 30% of the time. Think about it. So Simulators. I, I believe that you also, it's not pure simulation, right? You also have the occasional human being interaction. Oh, of course. Well, right. Yeah, so, this is this, you, you do all that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a balance. Yeah. And so I think when we go back to the technology play on it, right, it's really still in the end enabling the human experience, right? It's not replacing the human experience from everything I've heard. And so, in doing so, when you're talking about bots, you're talking about the data, you're talking about actionable intelligence, you're talking about knowing your customer, right? Actually doing the effort of finding out what it is your customer wants from you. We're moving from this kind of more general approach of you, you know, every customer gets the same IVR prompts, they get the same introductions, interactions. Do you see as things have moved forward, both in the industry and where e-tech sits, where that 
personalized touch has become that much more important of really knowing not just your customer overall, but like even at the individual customer level, do you see anything that you're doing or others that are doing in that space? Well, I think it's the personal touch. Like people say all the time about, you know, uh, automation is going to, you know, replace the call center agent. That's like the second biggest lie in the industry. That's like, you know, if you think about, if I hear you correct, if you think about this automation piece, um, I don't think you're ever going to replace it. Here's, here's my quote from like 2003 with some of our big customers. I told people like, cause they're saying about, you know, when it was chat back then, right? Chat was the big thing, right? You know, we're going to stop voice. No, you're not. If I'm buying a product or service from you, it's my decision as the consumer to tell you, I want to contact you, not yours. So you need to give me all ways to contact you and let me pick what I want best. But that's, that's really what I see in the industry. Some people are trying, as you saw, there's a big airline company out there that shut down one of their call centers and forcing you to a bot, right? Forcing you to go to self-serve. I'm sure some people will like that because it's a cheaper airline, it's, you know, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's not my preference. I'm not going to force that. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the, the metal I want, the model I want to. Not everything can be solved in a simple FAQ. Sometimes you have to talk to a person. So I think that's really where I see the, the value of the human intelligence, which codes the machines. And I also believe that the, it, you're always going to have omni-channel. Um, where the, I, I think the repetitive stuff will be replaced. And, and what I tell people all the time is it doesn't mean that you're going to fire these agents. Because even eTech's a perfect example. When we automated stuff, we dropped uh, call volume by 30% on some of our programs by implementing tools. I know. But those people were valuable because if you focus on the person, like I say, let's train those people to a career path. So we turn them into data scientists, data analysts, and data integrators. So the person actually went from an agent to an analyst. And that's like the best thing you can do for not only the economy, but for the person. I don't know if I answered your question per perfectly, but that's that's kind of where I see it going. Yeah, well, I, think I think you're going to always have it. Yeah, and I think there's two things that I pull away from that to my question, which is that you're meeting the customer where and when and how they want to be met. And knowing that is the preference of the customer versus forcing them into just one area um, is obviously a way to reduce friction in that experience. The other part of it is that it's not just a replacement of the person. It's maybe a replacement of that task. And that person now has something different to do if Correct. you give them the opportunity to do so, which is great that you've been able to do that. So to kind of just round off the things that we we're talking about eTech, you know, throughout this journey, because you've had a, a lot of time to be able to really just build up eTech from where it was to where it is now. Is there any key experience or lesson that you learned that's really influenced the direction, the growth of eTech and how really you've been able to apply those insights into shaping uh, the outcomes that you give in the customer engagement space. Yeah. So I think the biggest lessons learned is continually reinvent yourself. Because if you look during, co like when COVID hit, as an example, when COVID hit, eTech put out 82% um, of our workforce in a remote location within seven days. We have 3,600 seats in three countries and 10 sites. So that was a, 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 an amazing task to do from anybody. Now, the good news is 
during that process, here's what we found, because we were never remote. We don't believe in a remote. We believe remote is something you earn the right to work remotely versus, you know, being able to just have it remotely. So we didn't have all those tools in place from a training perspective. So one of the biggest innovative things that we've done to do that is we've actually developed self-learning courses for our agents at home. By the way, you still get touched, you still get coached and all that kind of stuff during that. But I saw there was a big need because the first 30 days in, during COVID as an example, results were great. Why is that? Well, the first 30 days I'm on my honeymoon period because I'm working from home in my pajamas. Now I said over time, not everybody's going to be disciplined to be able to do it. And not every coach can coach remotely. So we created these modules that actually let agents self-coach. So basically, like I told you how the QA systems work, we identify who, what, why, where, when, how to coach, right? Well, if the coach isn't coaching, what do I do now? Let's bypass that and give the agent an opportunity to click a button and do a self-learning LMS. Can it, and that's kind of one of the innovative things. But to answer the question, always reinvent yourself because if you look at the companies that went under, right? And I hate to use Blockbuster as the example, but I remember I used this way back in the days. Blockbuster had the opportunity to merge, okay, with Netflix for 50 grand, 50, whatever it was, 50 million, I mean. They didn't do it because they said, who is going to watch a movie from their home that you mail to them? And if you think about the Netflix story, their vision back then Netflix. If you remember when Netflix was produced, it was in the 90s because I remember getting them. That's when we used to call the internet the net. They always had the dream to be a streaming place. And that's what I've always looked at for not only myself, the senior team at ETAC and all of us leaders were visionaries, always looking for your next opportunity to reinvent yourself to go to the mindset of where the world is going. And plus it helps me because I have, I have two young daughters who tell me what I'm doing wrong every day. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, I definitely pulled two really good things from that, right? One is around the concept of earning remote work, right? And you have some companies that are like, you're going to work in a brick and mortar. We're going to do the hybrid or by just culture and model. We are just a, a remote business, right? That's just what we do. And there are different pieces of how you perform well in each of those versions of business. But I love the word that you used, you earn your remote, right? You don't just get it by default. Can you give me a little bit of insight of when you say earn that, do people have different opportunities where they actually review a performance or otherwise they get to earn remote work? Absolutely. So, you know, first and foremost, as always the client, some clients want you brick and mortar and we understand that, then that would be brick and mortar. But customers who are willing to let you work remotely, it's literally a packet of information that goes out. You have to show up, you have to be scheduled adherence, your key performance benchmarks have to be met. And if you meet all those, you are allowed to work remotely. So it's basic what you would have to do if you came to the call center. And then what we do, we also have meetings when we do remote work, you have to be within driving distance to one of our sites. So we still like to bring you in once a month just to actually talk to you and have a meeting and stuff like that. But that's it. But the earning is just simple KPIs. You know, what's interesting there is during the pandemic, we found that certain people did really have conducive work environments at home, good internet, right? They didn't have a place or they didn't like the fact that they weren't around other people, right? They're learning uh, water cooler talk, their coaching, even just the camaraderie culture just was disconnected for some people that couldn't find a way 
to use collaboration over communication and other vehicles to really leverage a pure remote environment. Do you find that you have a mix of employees that prefer not to go remote and they actually have other avenues of how they're incentivized for those who incentivizing the remote work isn't there? Or is that really a big thing for you where people go, hey, remote work is the thing if I can earn it? Yeah, so it's two parts. So remember I told you we moved 82% of our workforce home in seven days? That 18% actually refused to work remotely. They basically said, I got a job to get away from my spouse and my kids and my family, so I'm coming to the center. So we kept the centers open. Um, but I don't think, it, and you're absolutely right, not everybody can work remotely. We don't believe in that. Neither do most of the people we talk to. Some of our people will say, hey, I can't work remote because I'm not focused enough or I don't have the background or the, the conducive internet. So those things, by the way, the background noise, the internet, those can all be solved, right? That's not a problem, but I think it's really the discipline of the person. Not everybody can work remotely. I, I always say this, 95% of the people come to work to do a good job. And I also think 95% of them are honest and they'll tell you, hey, I really can't work remotely. I will give you personal experience. If it wasn't for my boss being my mentor for 30 some years, I probably would have shot myself during COVID because I am, as you can tell, I am an extrovert. <laughs> no, no. I, I breathe on living and talking to people. That's my lifehood. And when they'd locked us down to no travel, I was going insane in this house. Now I do work remotely, you know, um, but I'm always traveling, right? But that just killed me. And if it wasn't for a support group of mentors, I probably would have, you know, went off the deep end because it really drove me crazy being isolated like this because I'm used to being out. That's So you have to think about the human person you're dealing with. And, and when you have like what eTech has is we believe in a servant leadership culture, which is to serve others first. When you have a, an organization that can do that for you, that's why you stay with them. And that's why you're able to be successful. And I think that's what some of the industry is missing too, because it's all about the numbers. It's not about the people. It's a, you know, it's about the pay, the benefits. It's, that, that's not really what people want to be part of anymore. Everybody wants to be part of something bigger, in my yeah, opinion. I, I couldn't agree more that you know people want to have purpose and they want to be associated in some way, small or big, to uh, some connection to success or being you know of value. And so. When we talk about that second item that you had brought up about reinvention, right? About being able to see what does the future hold? And sometimes that future is different than what you had in a way that's very disruptive, right? And it's probably painful for some. And for a lot of businesses, right? You can look at everything from Kodak and film to digital to, you know, hard drives uh, to streaming to, you know, physical discs. And, you know, you had the Blockbuster example. Uh, all the way to, you know, beta and VHS, right? You have all these different examples of moments in which better wasn't always necessarily better. But at the same time, there's that other piece of it where how do you have the foresight to see where are things going or how could you improve something in such a way differently versus just better that could be disruptive, right? And so when you look at the challenges in the space and you go back and say, okay, if I would have just removed myself from e-tech and my experience there, and I just looked at the call center, contact center space as a whole, what do you identify as kind of the most significant challenge that the contact center space is facing today when it comes to being able to deliver a great, memorable customer experience? I think one of them you said was the numbers and money, but I'd love to kind of dive a little deeper on that topic. So I, th I think the, I mean, 
based on what I see and based on what I hear from people that have left other BPOs that come to eTech, I think the first thing is the culture that you prepare for your people that works for you. I think that's what they look for, which we talked about. I think the biggest obstacle is people don't know how to coach. I don't think everybody knows how to use data. I mean, I've been with people so many times that tell me they're using these fancy tech stacks. They're adjusting 1.6 million phone calls and they're saying, so how's it working? Well, I'm not really seeing the return on my investment. And I go back to them and said, you have a data scientist team? No, we gave this to our IT guys. There's your problem. The, 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 the invention of taking data and using it and making it actionable, I don't care what anybody says in the industry, I'll probably offend half the tech companies. It needs a data scientist team and it needs an analyst and it needs an engineer. So you have three jobs that you can create in your organization to help you better utilize data. The data engineer programs the machine to make sure it works. Okay. Then you have an analyst who analyzes all the data and tells you, you know, how it can make it better. Right. And then you have the data scientist who can actually make, take the science of the data and actually apply it to future predictive analytics. Um, I don't know if I answered your question totally, but that's, that's what I'm seeing. And, and what I hear from our agents here, people say, yeah, well, you know, I worked at XYZ and all they did was tell me what I did wrong. Well, that's like old school stuff. That stuff should have been out a long time ago. That checkbox mentality. If, if, if I would tell this to all the people listening, if your conversation starts with, I listened to a call and this is what I'm going to talk about. You're in the wrong position, wrong company, because I should never be coaching you on biased information. You take 800 to 1200 calls as an agent or interactions a month, and I'm going to coach you and make all my decisions on one, two, three, maybe 10, if I'm good, 10 calls. It's terrible. When you look at the data and use, I think you're taking that servant heart. Like I tell Mark leaves all the time. My team will never coach you on a call. It will be on a hundred calls. <laughs> 150 calls, 200 calls, and will tell you how effective you are at meeting your objectives. So if you're in the 80 percentile effective, that's a decent agent. But if you're in 20, 30% effectiveness, we have to have a conversation. And again, Christian, it wasn't on a call. It was on 1100 calls. Do we both agree we have room for improvement? Now let's go ahead and tell you how you're going to improve and how I can help you improve. That's what's missing in the contact center industry because we're so used to the old school, which agent did this, agent didn't do that. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% .9 uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost per minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com. 
Yeah, I think you're right when it comes to the gotchas, right? I'm always trying to catch you doing something wrong versus holistically looking at what did you do right? And then how do we encompass leveling you up to whatever that is at your level to that next piece, wherever you can have improvement. And I think it is important to look at a larger data set, but I think part of it also is that a lot of companies, right? They will only look at percentages of information or they'll have uh, only one approach to how they look at that information. Maybe it's all people listening to percentages. Maybe it's machines scoring things. Maybe there's a balance between the two. But I think when you look at all of the data and you come back and actually do something with it, it sounds costly, right? To a business, especially when you're a BPO, you're, you're not necessarily always able to say, Hey, I'm going to pass along all the cool stuff I do on my customer. Cause you're probably competing with that business with one, two or 10 other outsourcers, right? So how do you balance being able to get a customer to say, I'm going to do business with you, both in your outcomes that you deliver, the experience you can provide that I need for my business, but also still be price competitive or is price not an issue when you're able to outperform or how does that work from your side when you're saying, I got to have this data scientist team, I got to have all this data looked at, not just a percentage. How are you leveraging your business without giving too much, you know, secret sauce away on, on how you can leverage the balance between that? Yeah. So it's a great question. So the, the advantage I think we have in this space is when we go in with all inclusive pricing, we're not trying to nickel and dime our customers for line items. So we, we go out and sell a customer and that includes all my insights. So it's, it's so, you know, we're not the cheapest uh, BPO in town. However, we've been able to on um, more than 90% of the accounts we've, we've sold have been able to prove that it works a couple ways. So once I'm, I'm doing all, I have the tech stacks already. So you don't need to bring your own tech stack. If you have one, we can give you my engineers that fix it. But if you don't have your own tech stack, we'll give you the unlimited ingestion. We'll listen to all the calls. We'll do all the data. But here's where we think we're, where the big money comes from. When you have this servant culture and you have this idea of training and developing people and making them better, what's the biggest issue in the call center business? Attrition. It's the most costly part of any business. E-tech is running at 92% retention rate. And by the way, that's what you talked about before. Remember the gotchas? And yeah, we don't measure attrition. We measure retention because it's a positive. You could do the math and flip it upside down and get your attrition. It's not that hard, but at 92% retention. So what happens is our people stay longer. They get better, right? And they're actually like their job. Because think about every time you bring on a new employee, what happens? Performance goes down, right? You're, now you're getting a call. So then it goes back up. Then someone else leaves. It goes back down. When you're able to fix attrition, right? And you're never going to get it to, to zero so we're clear because there's always healthy attrition. You want healthy attrition. But when you're able to get those people in, that's a savings for the customer because as the agent becomes better and better, they become experts of your brand. Right. And that's really one of the things I see that you were able to use to help sell the ROI. Cause you don't want to always constantly be training this, training new people, right? Because your experience for your customer, which you got to look at at the end is going to be horrific because you're never going to get agents really that good. They're always going to be okay agents who could answer basic questions. And you don't want that. That answer the question. Yeah. No, it was great. And it really helps. For those that are sit, sitting back and going like, gosh, I don't have all of this, right? Or I'm going to outsource to somebody and I didn't think of 
those things being important, right? For me, I have this dollar amount I got to spend. That's my budget. And I got to go and get this kind of outcome with this kind of money. And I can do onshore, I can do nearshore, I can do offshore, I can do a mix, I can do at-home agents, brick and mortar. But there's certain things that just come in. And sometimes we just have this mentality of, well, we're outsourcing work, but our expertise isn't really running a contact center, right? And then there's others that say, hey, we feel we've done this great job internally. We need to scale it, but we need you literally to be an extension of our business. You need to be as good or better than us because it's our brand that you're representing. So when we talk about, you know, a lot of things that you're talking about is really intelligence and and leveraging technology and people and empowering people. But there's got to be this part about when we talk about this smart call center, right? Let's just say that what you have is a small call center or contact center. We've talked about several key things, but if you were to sit there and rebuild a contact center from scratch tomorrow and say, here's everything I've learned and I had the chance to go build it, what are some of those key components that you think you just have to have for that center to be successful? Yeah, man, if I only if I only knew what I know now back when we started. <laughs> I would tell you technology, it has to be good. It doesn't have to be the best. Like I'm, I don't want to say I'm anti these enterprise solutions. I'm more about the service that I'm going to get from who I'm going to pick. So you have to get a decent dialer. Doesn't mean you have to get the best of the best. That's, I don't want to name names, but that's the, I would be going, if I was starting from scratch, I would be going with the mid-sized providers that I, that will give me the service that I would need to get my dialer. I would make sure my circuits are good. I would make sure I have multiple circuits just in case you have to be up. But I would really focus more of my time on the people side of the business because people make the difference. Technologies, we talked about it as enabler. I'm not saying to go out and get a freeware. I'm not saying go out and buy something that's really, really cheap. But I'm also saying you don't need to start because I, I believe this. You can crawl, then you can walk, then you can run. Because the cool part about our business is scalability is easy, right? But invest in a, a you know, couple million dollars in 25, 50 seats, 100 seats with hoping that you're going to build it someday. I just don't believe in that. If you think about eTech, we start it, you know, with 400 people. Okay. And one center. And today, you know, what we talked about, we're, we've grown, but we've grown purposefully. We haven't bought the best of the best technologies. We haven't bought the most expensive stuff. We tried to be niche market, but we've also tried to be able to work with companies like yourselves, right? That are, that are more nimble. Cause I think that's what the industry's missing. There's no nimbleness anymore in the industry with these big, huge companies. They're not as nimble as you would need them to be, especially if you're starting up. I don't know if I answered it completely, but that's like the keys. Um, it's not money spent is not always the, is, is not always the best, in my opinion, because we fired some of the biggest companies in the world, tech companies that just couldn't perform. Yeah, there was a really interesting piece that you stated in that message, which was about the service more than the product. And you know, we always talk about companies when they say we have the best service, right? I don't know any company you're going to run into at the front end that's going to go, our service sucks, right? Yeah. They're all gonna, it's the best thing in the world, right? That it's it's so great. It's amazing, whatever, unless you kind of have an inside track and you can get some background info on them. But we, we throw around this term partnership all the time. Oh, I want to be a great partner of yours. And it's just not only overused, but the way it's used, it's just 
it's destroyed the meaning of the word, right? And what I get from what you're saying is as you grow, you want that other company to be participating in that growth with you, being really a partnership in aligning with the outcomes that your business is trying to achieve. And then even what you're missing, that you're able to give that feedback to them because you're the customer and hopefully they're listening to you of how do you together then collaborate towards that future state versus maybe it is just tech driven or money driven. And the idea is, well, we're the biggest name in the game, so take it or leave it, or this is the way it is. And that dynamic, when you say you're building from scratch, you're going from you, just like you're a partner with your cup, uh, with your customers, it almost sounds like you don't have to find the best of the best, the most expensive, even though that may be what you end up with. But what's your support service relationship partnership with the people that you do grow your business with? Did, did I kind of capture yeah, some of that, yeah, right? Absolutely. And I, I go look at the leadership, right? We go look at the leadership of the company, how long they've been there, right? Check your references, all that kind of stuff. Because if you think about it, you know, it's funny because and I'll tell you a personal story. So I have a lot of friends in the industry as you do as well. I get a call. We won't name names. Hey, I'm working for this new tech. You know, I want to get into e-tech. You know what? I'll take your call because I've known you in the industry. They come in and try to sell you this new tech and it's the best in the business. Never seen anything like it. The guy leaves in six months, eight months, goes to the next company, calls me with the same thing. I got the latest of the, like, that's where you told me the last company you're at because that's the problem. The service part of the world is gone away and it's been this corporate giant who spends the most money in marketing, advertising, and that's, that's, that's just one of the bad parts about our industry. I mean, that's why I'm out and you know this, I'm out in shows all the time. I'm always vetting out systems. I'm always looking at what's the next greatest thing in the world to see and then seeing the people behind it. That's the key because anybody can be part of something, but you got to look at the track record of the person who's sitting on the board, who's sitting with these ideas. And that's, that's kind of what I look to go back to the people side of it, if that helps. Nope, it does. That's great. And, you know, as we kind of look at things of what we measure, what we, you know, go back and say that these are important key things that we should know and learn. I think metrics obviously are important, right? They're not the end all be all, but they're important and they have a place where you have to leverage them properly or it may give you the missing the mark or missing the data and so on and so forth. So when you look at the success criteria within a contact center, and let's talk about your experience, what you've had at eTech or maybe otherwise, when we look at those important metrics, what do you think from a customer experience perspective are those ones that you really just have to know, you have to measure? And maybe is there anything that is not obvious, but if you miss it, it actually will affect the outcome? Yeah, I think, I mean, the basic metrics everybody talks about, the handle time, first contact resolution, all those type of things, they're all important. Everybody should know those. But I always argue people on handle time. You know, I did a study for one of my clients. They told me that the, you know, our average handle time was too high. And I went in and did a whole analysis for them. And they said, you know, the call should be seven minutes. And I'm like, if, and I looked at the data and we said, you actually have more, when the call goes to 8.5 minutes, your success rate on conversion went up by like 62%. But because you were forcing people and penalizing them for the handle time, once you get over seven and a half minutes, that's why people were getting short and getting it. So, so when you look at the data like that, so that's just one example. So handle time is important, but it's how you analyze it. I think what people miss in first contact resolution personally is 
first contact resolution, if you look at the old way we do it, it's by a disposition. Did I solve your problem? What the disposition should be able to do is say, did I solve your problem when you call back in 24 hours? And when I use the analytics, we're able to identify what the customer called about. And it's it's amazing how many times when you tie it back to a disposition, it was called, they called in and the person said, fix the issue. And that same person called back three, four, five times later. But we've given credit to that agent who solved the problem and first contact because you're not measuring it right. You need to measure it on what the customer is saying and the, the repeat phone calls. That that's that's one I would be. I, I definitely think people miss the boat on. We've see, seen a ton of data coming out of that. The other one that I look at is that experience, right? And the experience the customer has. And I'm not a big survey guy, by the way. Uh, you know, I am. You know, people talk about, well, my CSAT is not. Listen, you're getting 4% response rate, please. And there's three reasons people fill out a survey. You went above and beyond, which is physically impossible on every call. You pissed me off so much, I want to complain, and you won't do anything with the data anyways. And number three, you gave me a $10 Starbucks gift card to fill out your survey. So I look at analytics to use the data. And you should, I mean, I don't say get rid of surveys, but overlay the data. This is what my survey's telling me. And here's by ingesting 100% of my interactions, the behaviors that are happening, what the customers are saying about me, my brand, my competitors, everything. And that's that's what I think people miss a lot too, because they're not compiling the both. They're they're taking the survey as their gospel, which is like the, it's the same examples I gave you earlier. If I'm listening to 10 phone calls from an agent, making all my decisions on that, it's biased data. That's the same, I believe, in CSAT. The highest company that I've ever seen get a response on CSAT is like 14%. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're right. When people are upset, they're going to absolutely complain more if they get incentivized that there's a separate bias. And then the amount that you're going to have these people that have these such memorable experiences, it's going to be such a small amount that it's not that it's not great that you have those. And I think you said it right. It should be a data point among several layered on top of each other. Uh, but it doesn't give you the holistic view. And I think when you went back to average handle time and you went back to being able to talk about, uh, you know, the first call resolution, what's interesting there is both of those things were metrics that were measured in a box, right? They were that checkbox where the, in, in that box, it was good or bad. But when you look at it holistically across the customer's actual experience with that interaction, which could be things that happened prior, things that happened after, you can see that those bits of information that in a box looked good, right? We're actually hurting the interaction, making you believe you were doing a better job than you were. And in the end, the customer was one being sacrificed. Um, Absolutely. Experience, right? And so I think you're really spot on that when you go to measure these things, you really have to understand how they actually connect and correlate to the grander experience and knowing what your customer wants from you versus looking at it in individual sets and even groups, right? One group may manage this data. Another group manages this data. And they both think they're doing great. But when you look at them together, then they both are not doing well. So I think that's definitely really important as well. And so, it, go ahead. I was going to say one thing, and, and think about it. That's the reason I, we, we at eTech, we put out this QE Valley Analytics. So think about this. By taking all that data from all these disparate systems and dropping them into one spot, I actually can look at a dashboard that shows me the customer came in with the motion. We have an emotion dashboard. Customer came in, came in, he was happy. 
throughout the conversation, because I'm using analytics, he got upset. Okay. And then he got worse. We know that was the agent. <laughs> we know that what, because he was happy when he came in. And then on the flip side, you get the customer that comes in upset and the agent flips him. But the only way you're going to be able to look at that is to look at a bunch of data from the entire journey and then be able to analyze that in almost real time. No, I, I couldn't agree more that that is an important part of being able to provide that exceptional experience. And so let's go back to the customer for a minute in the perception of their expectations, right? And let's use for right now the moment of the pandemic when it started to what it is now and through those early days and prior from the perspective has customers' expectations on both ends, meaning your customer as an outsourcer, the brands that outsource to you, and their end customer that you ultimately service uh, in those individual interactions, has the expectation they've had of how they want to engage with the brand, how they want to be serviced, and how you're actually servicing them changed significantly? Or are there some common themes that have been consistent regardless of these ma major changes that have happened during that period? Yeah, great question. I will tell you this. I've used this slide in a lot of my presentations over the years. Customers' expectations have changed dramatically. Think about it. I started my career as an agent. I had green screens, okay? I mean, literally green screens. I'm, I'm old. I had hair, right? I, you know, now to... <laughs> today think about what has changed in our industry sure i got a laptop skin you know um I, i've got little technologies but at the end of the day that customer expectations changed it was okay in the 90s and early 2000s to be on hold for 10 minutes because back then you really have anything else to do right you know today unacceptable you know in the old days all i can do was make a phone call Today, I mean, so if you think about the expectation from the customer, they have changed dramatically. Most of these newer generations, and I'll probably offend 20% of, of the people listening now, they have the attention span of a gnat, which is about 20 seconds. So if they can't find your answer in 20 seconds, they're on to somebody else. That's the problem. Customers and customer expectations have changed. Now, are customers' expectations changed? A little bit. I think they want the... I think what they don't or what they want is they want that level of service for their customers at the same price point it was 10 years ago, which is pretty hard to do, right? Because as you see in the economy, so I do think everybody's expectations have changed and you have to be able to adjust your business plan on those customers' expectations. If you satisfy your customer, that's what protects your business. Think about the telco space. Why do you switch telco providers, right? Usually because I'm getting a free phone, right? Or my service is terrible. Other than that, I should be sticking with you. But yet that industry is brutal. People like my daughter will change carriers tomorrow for a brand new phone. She doesn't have, she has zero loyalty. She wants the latest and greatest of the phone. Me, I'm a, because I'm an older generation, I have more loyalty towards the brand that's taken care of me for years. But that's why you have to change that service and that expectation because now you you have to be engaging in that customer all the time. Otherwise, there's no loyalty. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's also that part of us culturally that you go back a long time and you have the concept of a, of a phone, of the television. There's these things where you're oohing and odd, right? You're going, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. Now you have the frustration of people go, why are we flying yet? Why, why isn't this the Jetsons? Like, how come I have all this technology and we're just so behind? Like, 
I have data at my fingertips. Why can't we cure cancer, right? And there's this expectation of now you should know me. You have all my data, even if I don't want you to have it. You should know everything about me and you should be able to curate an experience that's special to me because I'm unique and I'm special and I want to be able to have things done in a timely matter because time is valuable to me and I don't want you to waste it, right? So I think you've been able to give us a ton of really good insight into what eTech does, what things that you've seen from what a BPO can do to differentiate in the market, what we're looking at when we're talking about how you leverage people and technology as an enabler, how are you able to then ultimately invest in your people, give them opportunity for growth? It's not just rip and replace. Sorry, this technology took your job. A lot of other great stuff. So I really want to end on a personal note, right? What do you do when you're not working so much, when you're out and about, you know, talking to everybody and having a great time and learning? Do you have downtime? Do you have personal time? What do you do for fun? I do. So my favorite, believe it or not, is I love to cook. So um, I do sushi. Um, I do homemade pizza in our pizza oven. I mean, that's probably my passion would be like cooking. I golf. I'm not like people say, so you're a good golfer? I see the entire course. <laughs> so I'm not good, but I enjoy it. And I also love to smoke cigars, sit by the, sit out in the, by, the, by the patio and smoke cigars. That's really what I like to do. Um, you know, the kids are, are getting older. We just like to do nothing. I like to get away with my wife once in a while. We just actually left this weekend, by the way, for two days or three days without the kids. I do like to, my one daughter's 21, the other one's 14, which is, you know, I've lived in a house full of women. So I like to get out once in a while and go out to uh, Vegas or something like that. That's pretty much my personal hobbies. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you right now, you hit home for me on the food one. I love food, different food, enjoying different cuisines. And obviously you said sushi and I'm a sucker for good sushi. So look, there's going to be people that want to get a hold of you. There's going to be people that want to get a hold of E-Tech. How do they go about doing that? Yeah, easiest way is I'm, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jim Ayub. Is it, there's not a lot of Ayubs out there, so you can find me easily. Um, you could actually send me an email, make it real easy, Jim, J-I-M, at E-Tech-G-S for globalservices.com. Um, follow me on LinkedIn. I put a newsletter out once a month. Uh, I'm not trying to sell on LinkedIn. So everybody knows I'm not going to be the guy sending you the connections and trying to sell you in five minutes. I like to educate and I love to, to give people ideas. It's free. And it's this is what society is about. We should be sharing best demonstrated practices across the industry. Awesome. Well, so great having you. I hope everybody got some great information. Thanks so much for listening. That's today's episode. Obviously, please subscribe to our podcast for future episodes. And you're going to be able to listen to this in the recording. So don't forget to be able to like and subscribe. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Thank you for joining me in this episode. If you're loving the content, make sure to hit that subscribe button on your YouTube channel for exclusive clips, webinars, workshops, and bonus materials. And if you're an Apple iTunes listener, we greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review to help spread the word. On our YouTube page, you can also leave us feedback, comments, and suggest future guests that you'd like to hear from. For even more valuable insights and information on the call center world, visit nobelbiz.com and access our on-demand webinars. I'm Christian Montez, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of First Contact Podcast. Stay with us for the next exciting chapter.